couple things first. Make sure if you do not get the emails from California Capital Connection, anybody here doesn't get the emails, want to make sure you get a chance to sign up to get those. If we can have maybe the ushers in the back or somebody, there's a few right over here, or you can just come get them. It's like that. Anybody else needs one? Yeah. And there's some in the back as well, but uh, be sure to get those. We get an email out. Uh, we're working. Grow once every week or two right now. Your session is in progress uh, here in the state. And so uh, down, at the, down at the Capitol, your legislative session has begun. And uh, we're tracking some bills down there. There are some good bills. There's also some bad ones. And uh, so we are keeping up with those. Pray for particular <clears throat> for Pastor Campbell, uh, Brandon Campbell, pastor's down in Wheatland, but he is going to the Capitol on a weekly basis. And so pray for him, and uh, particularly if you would keep one particular legislator in your prayer, he might also be your assembly member, but assembly member James Gallagher, who is now the minority leader. And uh, Brother Campbell <clears throat> has a good relationship with him, is connecting to him, and, uh, and uh, just keep that in prayer that the Lord would be with uh, uh, Assemblymember Gallagher and all those uh, assembly members and senators who have a biblical worldview. You know what the challenge is? You, you can, you, the challenge, and I'm going to mention this in my message tonight, but the challenge goes beyond just having a biblical worldview. That's kind of the, the, uh, the base, the ground, uh, the foundation you have to have. But then you'll notice this is true in the Christian life. It's not just having a biblical worldview, having a foundation in scriptural truth, but then acting on it. Anybody ever notice that's one step more difficult? <laughs> you know, you can believe things, but not act accordingly. And especially when it's a, a biblical foundation and you have the right foundation, uh, but you don't act on it. And down there at the state house, there is tremendous pressure, as is the case in all all of our society today, but even much more so down at the state house, uh, just to go with the flow. Or at the very best, just be quiet. Because you're outnumbered. And there's more of them than there are of those with a biblical worldview. And by the way, we need to be praying that the Lord, by His divine intervention, would change that. But that's the way it is currently in Sacramento, and so those folks who are down there, uh, thank God they ran, and by the way, that's the second thing you need to be praying for, is that God would raise up godly believers across the state to run for office on all levels, city, county, uh, state level, uh, but, but folks, listen, you will not end up with uh, legislators and uh, more broadly, elected officials on any level, you won't end up with God-fearing uh, believers filling those seats if God-fearing believers do not run for those offices. Now, it is possible for somebody to get saved after they're in office. Uh, but, you know, think about this. Somebody gets, comes to church here, and they, don't, they have no biblical foundation. They walk in. They hear the gospel. They realize they're a sinner. The Holy Spirit, uh, you know, convicts them of their sin. They repent and, uh, and trust the Lord as their Savior. So praise the Lord. Amen. 
Maybe next week they get baptized, amen? Let me ask you a question. This is somebody now coming in with no previous biblical foundation. Let me ask you this question. How long before they're teaching Sunday school? (laughs) In this current generation, folks, it's going to be a while before Pastor Brown says, hey, so-and-so, I don't think you'll find we have a situation where somebody who has no biblical foundation comes in, gets saved, and Brother Brown announces next week that they're teaching a Sunday school class. (laughs) And folks, listen, the idea... That, that you're going to get folks saved, and we, we do. We try to give out a gospel witness, and Brother Campbell tries to give out a gospel witness. But the idea that you're going to take people in that environment down at the Capitol, get them saved, and have them the next week start legislating based on biblical principles, that's a stretch, <laughs> okay? So what do we need? We need believers who run for office, and then by God's grace and, and uh, other believers, and Christians voting, like we should be voting, have a responsibility to vote, uh, they get elected, and they go down there with a strong biblical worldview. And even then, it is going to be a huge challenge for them to operate on that worldview in this present culture we live in. But that's what we need to be praying for, and that is what I believe uh, God is able to do, and uh, we have seen that in other places and, uh, and so pray for Brother Campbell, pray for the legislators uh, down here, uh, those who have uh, somewhat of a biblical worldview, those who are actually, on top of that, born-again believers. And uh, you see, you can have a biblical worldview and not be a born-again believer. A biblical worldview, in the sense we're talking about it right now, is the worldview that you believe there's a God in heaven and you are going to stand and give an account to him someday in some form. That there is someone else, that there is an eternity, that there is a God to answer to. And that person with that worldview is is portrayed in the Bible, and we know one step further that through salvation, through Christ, and that Christ came, made the payment for our sin, we understand that as believers. But just having a biblical worldview that, hey, I'm going to answer for what I do to God. See, that's very different from the other worldview that's predominant in our nation today, and that's a secular humanist worldview. And what a secular humanist worldview says, look, there is no God, I am my own God. There is no God I'll ever answer to. There is nothing beyond this life. This is all there is. I'm going to do what I want. I will be my own God. I will make my own decisions on what's right and wrong. And that's a secular humanist worldview. And that's a, the, the predominant worldview at your state capital today. And so that's what we need to pray, that God would raise up believers and make that a matter of regular prayer uh, to run for office uh, so that they can be on the ballot, that's square one, if, you're gonna, if they're ever going to end up uh, in office on any level. But we need to be praying for that. Appreciate your prayers for us. Uh, we work with pastors not only here in California, but in uh, eight or nine other states. And as an example, yesterday... And uh, it was as we had a meeting here uh, with pastors, and so Pastor Campbell was not down at the Capitol here uh, yesterday, but, uh, but we had pastors, independent Baptist pastors that we work with, were in their state capitals yesterday in the state of Maine. Uh, there were independent Baptist pastors at their capital in the state of Maryland uh, that we have helped uh, them to organize. Independent Baptist pastors yesterday were at their state capital in the state of North Carolina. And then in Iowa, we had two, a pastor, assistant pastor 
uh, there yesterday morning at the Capitol in Iowa. And there would have been a pastor's day uh, at the Capitol in West Virginia yesterday, but they uh, got snow on Monday night. And so we pushed that one off uh, till next week. So pray for these pastors and other believers going along with them in many cases who are reaching out to their legislators, to their state houses, and not just there to pray, absolutely, and they do pray with legislators, but also to encourage them to protect religious liberty. And we also focus on the laws. And if you get our emails, you got an email this week that showed, gave you the 17, 16, 17 bills we are tracking. So uh, here in the state of California, and we do that in these other states as well, focus first and foremost on religious liberty, but also on the pro-life issues, all of the pushing back against the woke, uh, and a lot of good bills being proposed in some of the uh, more conservative states, pushing back on that. And so, uh, so pray for that as the Lord uh, works in these different states, and pray that the Lord would just uh, encourage folks to stand up for truth. Now, with that in mind, let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Judges. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I'm going to give you some thoughts tonight that uh, I really haven't put down in a formal sermon outline. But it's been something that's been on my heart the last uh, few weeks, and I was going to go another direction tonight, but I felt impressed uh, to go this direction tonight. I did give this brief outline uh, to the pastors uh, yesterday, and so uh, and I told them I had not preached it, so if your uh, pastor down the road picks up this message, you'll know, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, but, but here's a thought. I want, you, I want you to think about something. It goes along with what I've been saying already uh, uh, tonight. Look here in Judges chapter 6, and let's go back to verse number 11. Judges chapter 6, verse number 11 says this, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was at Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite, and his son, and his son uh, Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray your Holy Spirit would give us the truth that we need tonight. I pray you would challenge us, convict us, encourage us. Lord, wherever we are, Lord, I pray you'd help us to stand up. Whatever situation we're in, Give us the courage to be bold in our witness, bold in living out our faith. And Lord, I pray now you'd meet with us tonight, for we ask in your name, amen. This is a story of Gideon. I'm not going to take a lot of time to tell the story. I'm assuming that most of you uh, know this story, and I'll try to stay by this microphone uh, because of the, uh, uh, or I guess I'm on, am I on this one? Do I need to turn this on? Is it on? Am I on? I'm golden. All right. I'm good. I can go wherever I want. Amen. And uh, But this story of Gideon. And here's Gideon. What is he doing? He is threshing wheat. Well, nothing particularly special about that back at that time. Except where is he doing it? He is doing it behind the wine press. Why is he doing it behind the wine press? Why isn't he doing it on the regular threshing floor? Because he is hiding. He is hiding from the Midianites who have taken over the country. And, but he has found this place where he is 
threshing the wheat. And I can only imagine that after finding, because it, I, I, I would suppose that if they had gone out to the threshing floor and threshed the wheat, the Midianites would have come and taken it from them. But here, somehow, some way, he's found this place where he can hide, he can uh, get the wheat threshed. I'm sure he went home to his wife and said, hey, I found a place, it's the perfect place, nobody will find us there, I can thresh our wheat, and we can have the food that we need, and we can just keep our heads down, and nobody will bother us, and we figured it out, and we'll just get along until the Lord comes back and raptures us out of here. Folks, you get the analogy there? Boy, we're just going to, we can do our thing and we'll just keep our heads down and we'll just kind of be quiet and we'll just kind of go with the flow and, uh, and, we'll, and everything will be good and we'll just pray God that the Lord comes back tomorrow. Amen. That's what Gideon, he's just getting by here. So let's see what happens next. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. There he is, threshing wheat, hiding. And said unto him, now this is an amazing thing, because his actions do not match the description of the angel of the Lord, what the angel of the Lord says to him. Look at what the angel of the Lord says to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He's hiding. He is not acting on what God's plan was for his life. At that moment, he was not acting on that. And the angel goes on, Gideon, well, let's look, look here, verse 13, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Notice what, now he's talking to the angel of the Lord. And you know what he does? He blames God for all their problems. Why has the Lord forsaken us? Why, what happened? I thought he did all these miracles. What, what about, where, where are all the miracles? Now folks, where was the problem? The problem was with the children of Israel. The problem was not with God. Folks, and I tell you today in America, the problem is not with God. The problem in California, the problem's not with God. The problem in our own personal lives, the problem in our own families, the problems, if there's a problem, the problem's not with God. But here's the interesting thing. Despite having that wrong viewpoint, God in His mercy still uh, comes down, talks to Gideon, and works with Gideon. Folks, that ought to give us some encouragement. To say, well, boy, I don't have the faith I should have. I'm not the, I'm not the Christian. I, look, Gideon wasn't either. But God still worked with him. God still came down and met with him through this angel. And as we know what happened, he called him uh, to go fight the Midianites. And he started with 32,000 men. And God took it down to 300. By the way, you know one of the things, you know, I'll tell you, you know, we're in California. You know what you know what you hear in California? That there's too many of them, not enough of us. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't, you don't even have to make it up, amen. <laughs> because it's what we all think, amen. There's more of them than us. That's the way it was then. But we know the story. 
And God worked with Gideon, and Gideon won a great victory. Now, take your, take, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32. Look what the scripture says here. And what, and we've been through all, he's listed all these uh, great folks of faith, and he comes down to verse number 32, says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of who? Gideon. Then he lists some others. But he begins with Gideon. This is now what we call the hall of faith. Gideon. The, the guy hiding behind the wine press, threshing wheat, is now in the hall of faith. Well, you talk about God working a miracle. But now look, let's go down a little further, down to the next verse. Well, we can read through that, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. And by the way, all of those folks were dealing in some form or fashion with governments. But now look what it says in the very next verse. Who through faith did what? Subdued kingdoms. Think about that. Subdued kingdoms. Subdued governments. You know, we are, we're very thankful when you know, we pray for somebody, and the Lord heals them, and they get better. And we say, what a miracle that is. We are, we're thankful when uh, some answers to prayer here surrounding the ministry, uh, maybe uh, uh, some of the property gets paid off, or a building gets paid off. We get money raised for this. We get money uh, done for that. We, we're thankful, and we rejoice in that, or we have a big day, and we have a big attendance, and a number of folks get saved, and and boy, we are thankful and we say, wow, look at what, what the Lord's doing. Or we see something in our own lives, a bill gets paid or an answer to prayer comes. And we say, wow, that's amazing. When's the last time we saw a kingdom subdued? Well, that's a whole different scale, isn't it? Subduing kingdoms. Folks, you know what? You pick the level you want to go to. We're talking here about Gideon subdued a kingdom, in his case, the Midianites. But you know what you have down there at Sacramento? You have a kingdom. Now, we don't, re, we don't word it that way. We talk about government. We talk about state government. You know what we have in Washington, D.C.? we got a kingdom down there. <laughs> Needs to be brought down a few notches. Amen? But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that through faith, through faith, folks, you notice it didn't say who through a political party subdued kingdoms. Now, as long as the Republican Party is more closely aligned with a biblical worldview or it has, has certain aspects where it is aligned with a biblical worldview, you can count me as a Republican. By the way, I'll tell you this. I am very concerned that in 20, the summer of 2024, when they rewrite the Republican platform, which is supposed to be rewritten every Four years. It was not, it was rewritten in 2016. You can go online and read it. 
The platform tells you what the Republicans are supposed to believe and how they're supposed to act. You say, well, they don't all act right. Well, you know, the Bible is our platform as believers. We don't always keep every, every part of that, amen? But, uh, but it but tells you what a Republican's supposed to be. And we have right now, I'm told, the most conservative Christian platform that we've had in a long, long time. That was going back to the summer of 2016. And there was some influence of, of believers, a lot of influence of believers in the writing of that platform. But that changes every four years. You say, well, what happened in 2020? The Republicans didn't rewrite it because of COVID. So they kept the same platform. But they are going to rewrite it in the summer of 2024. Right now, the Republican platform defines marriage as one man, one woman. I will be shocked if we come through. I will be happily shocked if we come through the summer of 2024 and one man, one woman marriage is still on the Republican platform. It is under attack. And it's not just from the opposite side of the aisle. But it's not going to be a political party that saves the nation. That's not what the Bible says. Through faith. Through faith. Faith in who? Faith in God. Trust in God. Now let me go one more place here just across the the next chapter, and we'll finish up tonight. Hebrews, look at verse chapter 12, verse number 1. Again, very familiar passage. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, us as believers, let us lay aside the, the, those who've gone in faith before us. Let us lay aside every weight. Notice this now. And the, and the weight, those are the things that keep us from doing everything the Lord wants us to do. Maybe not necessarily sinful in of themselves, but things the Lord does are things that need to be put aside so we can get the Lord's work done in our lives. But notice this now, and the sin <coughs> which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice that verse does not say, and the sins which does so easily beset us. It says the sin. And interesting. Now, we think, of, we think of besetting sins. We think of alcoholism. We think of immorality. We think of drug addiction. We think of, you know, we, but, but notice it says the sin. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. And this isn't something I would argue with somebody on. But if you study the context, you study out the book of Hebrews, and we don't have time to do all that tonight. You study out the book of Hebrews, and you come here to chapter 3, verse number 12. And there it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Of unbelief. You know, we, we think of a lot of things as evil. I don't think we typically think of unbelief as evil, do we? Unbelief, well, just lack of faith. No, Bible says, the Lord says here, there is an evil heart, a, a, an evil heart of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. Well, let's, let's look here a little bit uh, further. Let's look on down to uh, verse number uh, 19. Verse number 19 Look what it says here, the last, last verse in this chapter. 
says, so we see that they, talking about the children of Israel, when they were supposed to go into the promised land uh, initially, and they became afraid, look what it says, so we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Well, you know that cost Israel 40 years in the wilderness? Not immorality, not alcoholism, not drug addiction, unbelief. Well, I wonder what unbelief, I wonder what, what we're going to get to heaven as Christians and find out we missed out on. You say, well, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't doing any of those really bad things. Wait a minute. What about unbelief? What about not trusting God? Just mentioned you're going to have stewardship month. You know why probably a lot is a good word to use? A lot of Christians don't tithe and give God the first 10% of everything comes in? Probably, I don't think it's because, I don't think you would say that the reason is because they're greedy or they're selfish. And I'll tell you why, if there probably is, if there is a reason, probably more unbelief than anything else. How do you, I don't have enough to make ends meet now. If I give 10% to the Lord, how in the world am I ever going to have enough to make ends meet? Faith in God. I thank God. I was taught, my wife was as well, we were taught to tithe as children. Grew up in church and in the independent Baptist churches, both of us. Taught to tithe, taught to give to missions. You know what I can say now at 60 years old? Tithing works. It works. A few years ago, we stepped down from pastoring the church. We'd been there 28 years, taking it from a community college up to a, a church where it was able to take care of us and had all our, our needs met and a paycheck. And I said to my wife, I said, well, this is what the Lord wants us to do. We're going to find out if this tithing thing works or not. <laughs> Folks, you know what? I can tell you after two years, every need we have has been met. We're still giving to Faith Promise Missions. By God's grace, even more than we were able to before. You know why? Because there's a God in heaven. But you have to believe. You have to believe. Now, believe me, I am not perfect in my faith, but that's one area where the Lord has taught us over the years to trust Him. And by God's grace, I tell people the best thing you can do if you want to know how to fix your finances, the best thing you can do is start tithing. Amen? And I know the pastor will remind you of that again. And we did a, you say, well, I can't believe we do a month of that every year. Well, I, I did a month of it. I, I got a month of it growing up every year. And when I pastored for 28 years, our church had a month of it. Amen? And so uh, maybe, maybe we should have done two months. So, uh, <laughs> But unbelief. Now look at this, and we'll finish up here. We see it twice. You can find it other places in the book of Hebrews. Here is what I propose to you tonight, that the sin that does so easily beset us, let's be honest about it. The sin of, you know, I walk into convenience stores. I'm not easily beset by, now, some people who have an addiction wouldn't be able to say this, but I think that we're talking, you know, talking to the crowd here tonight, I don't walk into the, into the convenience store and walk by the cooler with all the beer in it and 
go like, oh, man, oh. Now, I'm sure if you had an addiction, I'm not, I'm not getting down on you. I'm just saying that might be somewhere you need to stay away from. I don't see the cigarettes behind the counter and go, oh, poof. But can I tell you, and I mentioned in, in tithing, the Lord's helped me, but can I tell you my biggest challenge? Unbelief. Unbelief. You know what I find as I travel and go into state houses and into states, and as I travel your state, you know one of the big challenges I find when it comes to this thing of reaching and affecting government? You know what I find the biggest problem is, the biggest obstacle? Unbelief. Look, we have a God right over here in the chapter before who said through one man who was hiding behind a wine press that God used him to subdue kingdoms. I don't have time to tell it, and I was not California. But folks, I tell you, we have seen the Lord subdue the government of Iowa in the last 13 years a government that 13 years ago was dominated by the same secular humanist. Now, I understand that's gone a long, lot, lot further down the wrong road than it was even 13 years ago, but was dominated by a secular humanist mindset that wanted nothing to do with God. Three or four believers elected out of 150. So today, you have more than 25, probably closer to 30, believers, legislators in a state where I believe the governor has a biblical worldview, a state where 13 years ago, completely liberal Supreme Court is now 6-1 conservative, if not 7-0 conservative, which means they have that same biblical worldview foundation. I don't know those judges personally, but their rulings indicate they have an appreciation for life or respect for life, which was not the case 13 years ago. We spent the first eight years in Iowa fighting bad bills. Now we spend 0% of our time fighting bad bills. You know why? Because of the believers who are sitting in those seats in the state of Iowa, you, you, the, the believers have the ability to stop any bill they don't want passed. Now, I've seen that transit, and it's not because we went out and raised these people up. God brought them, and we were there when they showed up, and God did it again this time, added some more to that number in 2022. If you looked at Iowa 13 years ago, it was deep blue. You look at Iowa's map today, uh, 13 years later, it is deep red. So where the Democrats are not even going to hold their first in the nation you know, they're saying, well, they messed it up last time. They did. But you know what? They don't want any part of Iowa now. Because they have no say. The Democrats in Iowa have no, no say. Just like the Republicans here have absolutely no say in what goes. They're, they're super in super major, minority, minority down here. The reverse is true in the state of Iowa. But the point is that is a complete transformation from 13 years ago. Now, am I guaranteeing you that that can happen? I don't, I don't know what God's timetables are. I'm just telling you it did happen, and I saw it with, I see it with my own eyes. I could take you to the Iowa Capitol. It would take us 
two or three days to meet everybody with a biblical worldview if we could meet with one every 15 or 20 minutes during the day. Now, there's still a long ways to go in Iowa, and not all those believers are as rock solid as they need to be, and some of those with a, world, with a biblical worldview need to become believers. But my point is this, God is still able to subdue kingdoms. And we cannot give up and have this heart, whether for folks on whatever level, have this evil heart of unbelief. Because you know what that does? That stops God from working. When you reach the point where you're not willing to take the next step of faith, whatever it is in your personal life, whatever God's telling you to do, whether it's calling you to the mission field, whether he's calling you to work on a bus route, whether he's calling you to go out soul winning, whether he's calling you to teach a Sunday school class, the first time you come to the place in your spiritual life where you say, you know what, I don't believe I can do that. But God's put it on your heart to do it. You're going you're gonna, to, you want to spend the next 40 years of your life in the, in the spiritual wilderness? It's your choice. By the way, I believe this. God is always bringing believers to another step of faith. I don't think you ever get, until you get to heaven, I don't think you're ever going to get to a place in this life where, there, where you just ride the plateau. Who by faith subdued kingdoms. Lord, we come to you tonight. Lord, I pray now you would speak to our hearts tonight. I don't know the situations here. We apply it to government, but Lord, this can be applied at every single level. Maybe some young people here who have said, you know what? I know the pastor says that the Lord has a will for my life, but boy, I don't know what that is, so I'm just going to sit out on my own and do what I think I should do and do what makes sense to me and Lord, maybe some young people need to say, you know what? I just need to trust God. Do right. Let him lead me. Show me what his perfect will is. Other believers here tonight, older, young, young adults, middle-aged, senior citizens. Lord, we're all, we're all faced on a regular basis with this temptation of unbelief. Just saying, I don't believe. Lord, sometimes we give up on other people and we shouldn't give up on others. We should keep praying for them. We've given up because of unbelief. Given up on our country because of unbelief. Given up on our state, maybe because of unbelief. Lord, I pray you'd put, Lord, just that, that seed of faith. Lord, I pray that you would fan that faith that you've given to us with your Holy Spirit. And help us just to keep our eyes on you tonight. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many say, Brother Cranston, I know I'm...